2: Progressive presents Forced Metaphors. About bundling your home auto and other
3: vehicles. Any sports fan knows defense wins championships. Your championship is your boat, motorcycle, RV, or ATV. And your best defense is the -the round-the-clock protection offered by Progressive. Which is like having a goalie, a 7-foot shot-blocking specialist, and a linebacker all wrapped into one. Which, to circle back, means you're going to win the championship. Because... You know, defence. Forced Metaphors. Presented by Progressive. Bundle and protect today.
2: Progressive, casualty insurance company and affiliates. Discount not available in all states or situations. It is the Blue Room. It is your weekly show at the end, or coming towards the end of what has been a ridiculous week for football. But ultimately, Everton have got a football match at the end of it as well. We go to Arsenal on Friday for what is a big game for our season. Uh, We'll get to that eventually. Plenty of other topics to discuss First and foremost, with three wonderful guests, Hannah Farrell. Hannah, how are you doing?
1: Good, thank you. Yeah, well, yeah, plodding along with a mental week. I feel exhausted by everything. I feel like that was so long ago at the beginning of the week because it's just been so much going on.
2: Yeah, a lot's been crammed into a few days. <laughs> yeah. hasn't it? Uh Dave Downey joins us as well. How are you, mate?
3: Yeah, similar mass fatigue by it all. Uh Probably not the greatest thing to say at the start of a football podcast, but I'm sick of football. <laughs> oh, sound. Yeah, that's been your weekly
2: show, everyone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and also join us, Adam Sutton as well. He's looking especially smart today with his slick back hair after the day of work meetings. He informs us. How are you, mate? Good, yeah, very good. I'd rather be on this form of uh, call
0: than, than work. I don't think anyone from the work's
2: going to listen to that either, so i can probably going to so. <laughs> You're safe there, <laughs> mate, yeah. Uh if anyone kicks off, I'll answer out, don't worry. But um uh-huh. yeah, we'll be we'll be speaking about the um speaking about the Arsenal game a little bit later on and a little bit about Marcel Brands and his contract. But um we've got to start off with the news that's dominated the week. Um as Hannah mentioned there, feels as though a lot's gone on in a very short space of time. And we've had a new league, Hannah, that was formed and has spectacularly fell in itself over the last few days. I mean, I'm not gonna go into details because I think everyone's sort of been following this and I know what's happened, but as we sit here now sort of surveying the the smoldering wreckage of of the Super League, um, how do you feel about what's happened this week?
1: Um, At the moment, I'm feeling even more pissed off because everything seems to be quite quiet on the punishments and sanction area. It was all while it was going on, Premier League and UEFA, you didn't hear enough of them. Like if they were reacted that quick to races and all that, then I don't think we'd have any problems. They were so quick on stuff. So now I'm just starting to get a bit apprehensive, like he's going to get away with it. It was like your way for statement. Oh, we're happy to welcome Man City back to European football. a so family, feel,
2: you think they said, didn't they?
1: Uh, Do you know what I mean? So I feel now I'm starting to feel quite as apprehensive about the fact, like, is this going to go unpunished? Like in Man U's own statements, it literally said they're going to look like sustainable ways to change in the future or stuff like that. They're literally saying we're going to try and do something else. That literally is what it says in my news statements. So I think now I'm just getting to the point like, okay, yeah, it's been a whole day, over nearly two days now since everyone started dropping out of air. Surely we should be hearing something. Yeah, I know you had all soon and everything saying it that you shouldn't punish the players and fans and all this shit. Well, Wigan, Bolton, they all got punished for a lot less things. So I don't know. I think now I'm, although it was a very pissed off all week, I think now I'm starting to get a bit more because I'm like, if this gets brushed onto the carpet with just all of us to be angry about it, it's just going to be even more deflating. I think that'll be just as damaging as the actual thing in the first place.
2: Yeah, I'm with you, mate. I'm still angry about it all. We'll be there, man in the barricade, lame style. <laughs> <laughs> holding all these to account, uh, Dave. You said you feel exhausted by it all. Uh, it's sort of a, a tone I picked up from you all week on this. Have, have you not not felt that anger that a lot of people have been feeling, or
3: has it come and gone? Um, the, the more it rumbles on, the, the more I feel as if we're not going to get anywhere with this. I think Hannah's absolutely right. I think we've passed the stage now where we're over the shock of what these people have actually tried to do to our game, and now we're in a position where. You know we're looking for actions. What what are the follow up actions? What's going to be the thing going forward with all, with all this? And that's all happening whilst Premier League games are still taking place. Manchester City have already played in the interim period from when it was falling apart to so actually, you know, we're trying to get back to, to normal. I suppose we have to redress what normal is going to be with these teams now. Um, I, I think they should be punished. I get I completely get Graham Suness's point, but I don't think he's the one that should be making it to be honest with you, Matt. Um because throughout throughout traditions, and again, Hannah's absolutely right. These clubs that have gone to the wall in the past, you know, nobody's cared about fan welfare then. When it comes to that sort of thing, and look, I'm I'm at the belief that two wrongs don't necessarily make a right here. I'd like to see something that is more of a stronghold, keeping these these clubs rooted to the ground, keeping them not trapped. I think trapped's the wrong way because that would insinuate that the they're trying to escape something that's big and nasty and horrible and you know, they shouldn't be a part of. And I think the punishment needs to be, be in a fitting way of how are these guys going to make it up to the Premier League? How are these guys going to make it up to these other clubs? How are they going to make it up to lower league clubs as well who they have an obligation to try and uh, make safe? I mean, we've, we've seen it in the pandemic. We're, we're big picture. We've seen it. um I was only talking... To, to Rick Parry, the EFL chairman, last week about this. You know, th- there needs to be a level of accountability at the very top of the game where there's obscene amounts of money coming and going. And they have the audacity to say that it's a sustainable move. It's a move to secure their futures because of money they've lost in the pandemic. Come on. The one thing that hasn't really taken the hit as much as anything else in the pandemic is elite Premier League football clubs. So I think I think that's quite Quite staggering, to be honest with you. If you're an NHS worker, as I know your are Mrs. Smart, if you're watching that, you're thinking, how much of a slap in the face is this? The adversity and difficult times, putting your life on the line to save other people. And you've got oligarchs and investors and people like that who aren't part of our game, of our national sport, effectively saying, "Ah, oh, well, you know, we need to look after our own here. We're, we're perhaps only a few billion quid down. We're still billionaires, but we're a few billion quid down. I think it's tremendously depressing to see the language they've used. Florentino Perez should be banned from the sport indefinitely he should have a lifetime ban that man for the uproar upheaval and the response he's given in the last twenty four hours has been absolutely disgusting um and then he moves to talk about entertainment and 18 to 16 to 24 year olds and whatnot. He hasn't got a clue about that. At 23,
1: I can guarantee that watching 90 minutes of football does not lose my attention span. I yeah. am fine. Do you know what I mean?
3: <laughs> well, and and do, do the thing, he, he's he's putting a blanket over hundreds and hundreds of football clubs who've got hundreds and hundreds of different styles, saying that it's boring and young people don't like it. He needs to do one, he needs to leave the sport indefinitely. People like him make it toxic, and look, we've we've seen a lot of tail between legs, haven't we, in the last twenty four hours? Empty apologies, then actual apologies, and don't get me wrong, I I think and and I've it's well, been a charm. It's
2: been a charm offensive as in the day from quarters <laughs>
3: as well. Yeah, there has, and um, you know, if and, and and if you listen to those quite closely, Matt. It just shows you how far away these guys are from what needs to be done right now because a charm offensive would be to say, well, we'll put a few hundred million into the Football League and ensure that survival. We're going to make sure that Berry doesn't happen again. We're going to make sure Portsmouth and Leeds and Bolton, like Hannah referenced, doesn't happen again. Oh, Dave's phones, Dave's phones, is completely, phone
1: completely That's how angry you was about it
3: Good job we're
2: not live mate I'll edit let this, this out don't worry so, yeah. but, Don't yeah. talk yeah. about Bolton
1: like that bro.
2: <laughs> Do you know what we'll keep we'll, keep we'll We'll keep. keep this in Go on, yeah So I'm angry Bol- so angry at Bolton he slammed his fist down yeah. on the table and the phone <laughs>
3: went flying Exactly yeah and do you know it, it is a slap in the face to, to regular match going fans you know I think we see a lot these days of Startup clubs, you see a lot of uh, we, on our doorstep, city of Liverpool, for instance, clubs, community efforts, things like that are all high response greed in football. It's
0: a really strange, as, as Hannah and David both said the past couple of days, that I just found it really embarrassing, actually. And it's embarrassing on the part of these people who are so involved in trying to ruin our sport, whether it is grassroots all the way up to the Premier League and Champions League. And it's turning what we love and what keeps us going and has kept us going over the past year into just business again. And isn't everything just turning into business? And why is everyone so bothered about who can make the most money and who can have, you know, the most fans or the widest reach? And I get that to be the best, you've got to have the best income streams or you've got to have you know, the widest appreciation of your football club, but it's about enjoyment and the likes of the Glazers, FSG, Daniel Levy, to a degree, these people, they're not football fans, they're just businessmen, and, and that is the real chasm between what we love to talk about, to play, to watch every single week and what they love to do, which is make money off football fans Football as a as a sport, so the model itself it comes across very NFL, doesn't it? It's that here's just the best, or what we consider the best. They can all play, and then everyone else is maybe don't know college football. I don't know if you watch much of that in that way. And that's what American football fancy is the real sport. The college football model is like obviously young lads coming through who are obviously very very talented, looking to make their way into the the higher realms of, of their chosen sport. But then it's just changed when it gets to the stage that they really start to excel. And I think that the academy and youth and grassroots, especially, process would really change. And it would actually, in the long run, ruin football, even at the Super League level. Because if you look at, in my opinion, the best player in the league at the moment, it didn't cost a penny. Phil Foden didn't cost a penny. And if you send... However, many teams into a league where you can't be relegated, you can't be crowned champions, you just signed the best players for millions of pounds those clubs aren't going to bring through the players of Phil Foden's quality, because yeah. they don't need to, they've got too much money they're not going to wait for the next talent to come through and breed in with the likes of David Silva Kevin De Bruyne, show him the way they'll just get the next one, and the next one, and the next one and it'll ruin football and I'm done with it uh, so goodbye, hopefully goodbye but as Hannah. Yeah. Dave have said in a couple of years because it's a slap on the wrist. If that, they'll just be back with another proposal, another plan, and they probably won't bow down as easily
2: as they have. Yeah, I think that, that that's spot on. And I think one of the things that has struck me over the last few days I mean, I, I know that these people who've been driving this don't care. That's been very much evidenced by the fact that they were they were part of this. But, you know, Dave made reference to it there. And in regards to Florentino Perez and, you know, his mad Trump esque quotes uh, on, on, you know, Like one was on Monday night, and one was obviously last night, wasn't it? Where he was on various talk shows in Spain, Mm. and it's just the, you know, like like Everton said, preposterous arrogance of these people for him to be able to sit there and say we need this because Real Madrid, you know, Real Madrid are in financial dire straits after the a year after they spent 130 million on a 29 year old Eden Hazard, who's hardly kicked the ball for them, (laughs) while. Redoing a stadium in a multi million pound deal, and in the next couple of weeks, they're probably going to announce the signing of David Alaba, albeit on a free transfer, but on about 150 grand a week's wages.
1: It's just scandalous when you think about it, isn't it? That the fact that he sat there with the audacity to try and act like these are in a dire situation where it's needed, but then it's them quotes as well, What he was saying that. For the younger generation, it needs to be more like FIFA and stuff like that. Football, it's just absolutely crazy. But it's the fact that somebody in that position, like I've seen so many people being like, oh, he's right type of thing. There was actually a lot of people who were supporting his views. So I think that's what scares me in the long run. Because he's not like the he's not the only person out there like this, and he wants to monetize this, and he will find a way to do it. He's still now gunning home that it's not completely dead. There is other ways around making the super league work still. So it's actually quite scary that he's not even took this as a. Oh okay it's a no-go area it's not gonna happen he's also taking it as like ammunition to like find another way around this to make it happen which is purely um pushed by greed it's not he hasn't got this big heart he's not like i've got this big like love for the super league and really wants this idea it's beyond to pure greed that he's now trying to manipulate it, try and squeeze whatever he can out of this failed idea to make anything out of it. So it's just really scary but it's like what it says when them quotes are getting put up on twitter i think it was after monday night when he first came out and first spoken about it and it was seeing that like how many people being like but he is right like isn't he saying uh, about the younger generation and stuff and that's what scared me and that's why we need to have the correct punishments and sanctions for this now because if there even is a minority of people who do agree with this over years this group makes to get to a level where it can be a bigger threat as well and he can keep spanning the, like spawning these ideas off because he's not going anywhere although he should he's not going to go anywhere someone in his situation and power so yeah it just it, it really scares me the things that he said this past week and that it seems to just as he seems another person who's just gonna get away with it because of his power and influence really
3: the, the sustainability comment makes me laugh most, um, and, and I think it's so thick. I think you, you you supposedly got a group of the finest minds in European football around the table here to discuss how they sell this. I tell you what, whoever's been, and I know Adam knows his marketing as well, whoever's been doing the marketing PR on this <laughs> needs to find a different career because it's been abominable. And I'll oh, be on
2: the phone to Florentino going, hey, if you need a hand with the next one, it gives a, a shout, I'll, I'll do you a lovely logo. That
1: logo <laughs> was <laughs> painful. Me's good job you didn't spend much on that, because that oh was like something on weird art back in the day. That was painful. Someone,
3: someone's someone got a few hundred quid there from pressing the button on Instagram to change the font. <laughs> their, their post. <laughs> but but in, 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 to go back to a serious point with it, the sustainability message is one that, I think it's a, the, the mightiest slap in the face in all of this because you've effectively got the richest, categorically the richest football clubs who are ironically in the most debt as well. Basically saying, sod this, lads. We're doing this for our future. It's every it's every club for themselves, apart from us 12. We're all going to stick together, play each other, what, 10, 20 times a year for the, the view and pleasure of, let's face it, fans from foreign countries, Uh, You don't get to see clubs first-hand. They're interested. The appeal to the elite, and I'm talking Perez, the Glazers, John Henry, aside from the Americanisms associated with it, I can see why they've done it. It's the only slight defence I'll say of this, is that I've seen why they've done it, because if you want to guarantee yourself as a billionaire to continue making billions, what better option than to say, well, let's join an institution here. That means we can't ever, ever leave this, and we'll continue to make money. It is, as everyone said, a closed shop. Where the sustainability thing is a real slap in the faces. Surely, if you're going to talk about such measures like that and saving football, as Perez has come out with the last couple of days, you surely try to be as inclusive as possible. So, in in in. In, in effect, he's come out and said, you know, we want to be inclusive as to save football, but we're going to take the biggest slice of the pie and you just might get the tiniest little dribbles that come to the EFL, to the second divisions in, in Italy and Spain. That might just happen. But as long as we're secure, then in effect, we're going to say you're going to be secure. That might not happen. There was no guarantees, was there? If you look at that statement, none of it said, we guarantee that the EFL, or is it City B, is it, Matt, in, yeah. in Italy? Yeah. Um, Segunda, what is it? La Liga, the second division in the yeah, Liga? Well, well done, Dave, yes. Yeah. Segunda division. <clears throat> All of that. You're basically saying, well, you know, there's there's every chance you'll get that. If this works and we make our billions, we'll set aside the little kitty and you'll 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 get saved by this rather than coming out with something like, if you want to go and do this, and let's make no mistake, this has been rumoured in the pipeline for as long as I've been a football fan. The elite move into some sort of model that leaves everyone else behind. But this is like somebody's gone and challenged Perez and his other cronies and said, make this the worst idea you possibly can, (laughs) and let's see if we can sell it. And that, that, it's just... Anybody with an ounce of intelligence. And this is where I do commend our fellow football fans of different clubs, one of which is across the park. I applaud those fans. I applaud <laughs> Spirits of Shankley. We've spoken to Joe Blott before, haven't we, Matt? Mm. Really, really good people who want football in the hands of fans. I applaud all of those. I applaud, I never thought I'd say this, I applaud all the Chelsea fans who come out at Stamford Bridge the other night as well. Every single person's robust... Um, response to this has been fantastic and it, I would like to think that is ultimately what swayed these idiots to say look we can't do this right now but if you listen to the language Perez comes out with it's only been put on the back burner I think he said today I mean again well, he said I- it could
1: still actually happen with Except some all, changes he you know,
2: said
3: they're all still tied down on contracts didn't he we? so well Barcelona I don't know if anybody's been looking online whilst they're on the recording, but Barcelona have only just released their statement now. No apology, basically trying to vindicate the reason why they did this. Uh, Again, that word sustainability crops up. If you're talking about sustainability, the first thing that comes to my mind when you're talking about that with football is saving the national leagues. You know, it's making sure there's still 72 clubs below the Premier League that can play football next season. That's what sustainability in football means to me. And then being able to be kept alive.
1: Yeah, they're just, just, just staying in their pockets. That's all <clears throat> exactly. it is.
3: And just to go back to that that piece with Rick Paddy that I was involved with last week, his arguments, and, and I know we all sort of cast the gate big picture because that was basically another version of this uh, just in England. But he was saying that what, why he was in the corner of uh, being in favour of this was because overnight it would save... League 1 and League 2. Now, whilst that idea is still as equally, or perhaps not as bad in terms of how ludicrous it is, at least it's done with some sort of forethought towards clubs that need sustainability. At least it's done with the right reasons. It's the wrong solution, as we all know. And that's why it was thrown out last year in October. But the fact that there's a thought going towards clubs other than the ultimate elite who... Some idiot in Spain decides only young people will take to this and they'll reject other football out of hand. You know, at least the intention was better in that regard. Completely woeful idea. But the scary thing, and Hannah Hannah mentioned that word scary before, it's petrifying. It really is scary that we have people in this sport that we all love and pay our money and go to games for. They're the ones in charge of this. They're in charge of, of Everton's fortunes in a way. They're in charge of everything we watch on our TV screens. You know, and many, many people, and again, I've, I've explored this much to my own detriment on Twitter. It's it's, it's just an excess of greed. We already have greed in the game. Make no mistake about it. From our own Farhad, Shiri all the way down to, I don't know, whoever's at the bottom of the Premier League. Guy owns Fulham, uh, Khan, you know. Every single owner in a, of a Premier League football club is in it to make money. We need to be honest with ourselves with that. But somebody pointed out to me yesterday, quite funnily enough, it's levels of greed that you can't accept. There is a breaking point for fans here. And, you know, Florentino yeah. Perez, the Glazers, Cronky, John Henry, decided to go and dance all over that line. try to make it obscure and, and just take this into their own hands and Thankfully, football stood up to it. What, what what worries me going forward is will they always be able to stand up for it? Because from a legal point of view, these clubs could still do this. They went and got the legal assurances and documentation that effectively their home leagues couldn't oppose this. Uh, they couldn't throw them out. They went and covered their backs. We're talking the wealthiest people in the world here. They're going to have the best yeah, solicitors yeah. in the world. Yeah. I, think, I think we're this is just the first wave compared to to COVID I think we're in for a lot more waves with this (laughs) nonsense and I think each one of them will present more and more of a challenge Ad? Yeah I think just
0: following on from Dave's point with regards to fans over the past couple of days it's kind of made me really proud to be a football fan At, at most an Everton fan with how our club has reacted to all of this and And it takes real passion and heart to not just say we don't agree with this, but to actually come with a really, really powerful message, actually, which the club released, which is kind of not just not stepping on toes in a way, but it's creating enemies in these people who, as Dave says, are very, very powerful in our sport. And it takes a lot of pride for a football club to come out and oppose something, But it's made me feel very proud that every fan or the majority of fans up and down the country have stood up to this. And they've mentioned about these people who are able to manipulate, in a way, our sport. But I think it shows very much they're not. They're actually not. And and we may say there's a number of waves or this will come back in a number of years, which I do think it will in some capacity. But if we stand up to this again... They can't do it because football is nothing without fans. It's a a slogan that's thrown around, but it's, it's really, really true. And if we stand up to it, then all their monopoly table board goes flying everywhere because they can't create a business without paying customers.
1: I also just wanted to add on from that on the fans. I found it really emotional, a lot of the things going on this week, because I mm-hmm. sort of emphasised yeah. and envisions. imagine if it was us in this situation. And I emphasised every fan, Red City fans, everyone, because I was like, imagine feeling so helpless in this situation. And it was that video from Stamford Bridge the other night where everyone's shouting and it changes into screams and applause and everyone hugging each other here in the news. And that was the thing that really, like, you know, when you, it's, something stays in your head, it was that physio yeah. to me When it was like, this is what it means to everybody type of thing. This is what it actually means to fans. But when you talk about people like theres of Shankly, people like that, they've been... Unbelievable this week when you talk about when they um leading the way saying they're going to take everything down from the cop, things like that. I thought that all these fan groups did an amazing mm. job of representing fans all across the country this week and should really feel proud of what they've done because without these fan groups, it would that message wouldn't have got to the club. Or, although we're all on social media, but all on site, everyone's on side ground, everything without these fan groups that we have looking after our clubs, I don't think this reaction or this result would have got achieved, even half
3: as quick. Well, do you know having, having said that I think this will come back in some sort of different guise, I still think it will, but I think as well there'll be there'll be other football clubs here who will be alerted and maybe alarmed a little bit by the response of fans and fan groups in the collective the collectiveness of people coming together, uh, almost in a in in a political way, um, and and response to such a uh, ridiculous idea. You know, this sort of thing tends to give people ideas. And I think in many boardrooms across the country, particularly Premier League ones, dare to say the Everton boardroom, who's uh, done an exceptional job of keeping people on side, by the way, given the statement we put out and stuff like that. But what, what it signals to me is well, in the past, when we've spoken about ticket prices and fan groups coming together, the 20 is plenty campaign, things like that. Um, that all of those things have ultimately come from people standing against all of this um you know corporate corporate pricing, shall we say. What I think when you see something like this happen is it tends to reinvigorate a lot of people. It's a lot of people will look at this and think, wow, we've caused this. We've caused one of the potentially the the, the biggest change in the history of our sport. A collective group of fans have gone and done that as well as some, some media and some prominent voices, but things that are pretty easy to do if people believe in the idea. And what I think might happen is you'll see today a lot of owners maybe waking up and thinking, do you know what? We need to be really, really careful here on how we treat fans, on how the game is perceived by groups of fans. Look, as we know, Everton are excellent at this. Everton are brilliant at community. They're brilliant at communicating with people. They're fantastic at that sort of thing. But I look at some of the clubs and I think, is there any way back to the Glazers at United? No, because they were hated already. John Henry, I've seen people sympathise with his apology and things, which to me would just seem like empty words. But you do wonder, is, is there a point where owners of football clubs maybe start thinking, we need to stop taking the piss with people here? Otherwise... They could get ideas of grandeur. Um, they could get together, and they've, we've they've already proven how strong they can be as a collective force in their droves, in their hundreds and thousands. Well, if they've done it through this, what stops them doing it with anything else? What stops them doing it with other injustices they see across the board, ticket pricing, all that sort of thing? And I really hope this inspires. And there are good people who own football clubs. There are good people who are invested in football clubs. Don't get me wrong. Those individuals might be looking at it this morning thinking, do you know what? We need to be careful with this. We need to manage this properly. Maybe we start looking at introducing fan members onto the board. Um, it, it's an issue at, at, at the BBC. I do um, a podcast with the, the, uh, the Football League. And um, one of the guests we've had on recently with a lady from Brentford. She was a director at Brentford. And their aim is to become the most diverse football club in the country. And what they've done is, they've decided that the best way to do that is get somebody from their local community, can be anybody at all, and appoint them as a non-executive director to their board. This idea has gone far and wide. And I know from speaking to other clubs in the EFL, they see it as a way of Firstly, integrating and and making a better relationship amongst the fans of their clubs. But also they see it on the other side of this, where we're seeing such hatred and online racial abuse thrown towards footballers. They're using it as their own solution when we're not seeing any action from Instagram, Facebook, all the other socials. They've decided that this is the way for them to go in order to stop this, to eradicate these social issues that we're seeing crop up all the time. And I look at that, and I think, firstly, it gives you great hope if football clubs are beginning to think that way. But secondly, there's far more, and to put it simply, there's far more football fans than there are football club owners. Yeah. And and this, to me, is a massive wake-up call. Both of those in power, we should be very, very aware of this right now. I mean, can you imagine? This is, I think, this is the fourth time John Henry and FSG have tried to sell their fans down the river. Each time the response has been more vociferous, um, more physical in many ways, putting banners outside the ground, taking banners out of the park. You know, they only need to look at who the people they took over that club from to see what happens when fans are not on board with what they're trying to do. That's why it's so thick, in my opinion. You've got to be really, really yeah, dumb yeah. not to get that. But I look at it and I think that, 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 that there are the origins, the foundations of a genuine movement amongst football fans here. And whilst you would see this as a big victory for many, many fans, and, and like I said again, I'll reiterate, I think this will come back in some sort of, uh, some sort of different guise in the future. I, I think it's a moment for people who own football clubs, the clever ones amongst them, to think, do you know what? We need to go back in, into some sort of form of fan appeasement here, because this could get worse if it continues to happen again. And ticket prices and the whole lot are thrown in there, fans and leaders of fan groups are going to look at each other and say, do you know what? We did it for the most powerful thing we've seen try to destroy our game. Why can't we do it for the cost of a hot pie?
2: Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair enough. And hopefully it can be sort of a catalyst for something good. Just the the final thing on this, um, Hannah and yourself, Adam briefly mentioned Everton's response. Uh, You know, and I think I sort of agree with Dave. I couldn't really say either way if Everton would have got involved in this. You know, it it, it doesn't really matter at this point if if they were asked or not. But um, Carlo looked very, very sincerely pissed off of it all today, didn't he, in his press conference?
1: It was when he said, didn't he say, when he first heard about City Forces, it's a joke at first. (laughs) I thought it was good that he threw that in initially. But um, even hearing, like, Hammers' comments and everything, they all thought it was a joke. But, um, yeah, I just like the way Carlo said that to say, like, I thought it was a joke at first. Like, basically summing up how ludicrous the whole thing is That's somebody who's so big in football, been there, been in these elite teams and everything, works at the most elite place it is, thinks, is this a joke? Like, this is that thick, it has to be a joke. So I think someone of his stature and of his success calling it that was a nice little little cherry on top of all the great Everton um, coverage of the whole situation, if you would call it that.
0: (laughs) I think it's a a bit of a dig in the ribs for Carlo Ancelotti, actually, because that man has worked so hard to get to the position that he is to win the trophies, accolades, create relationships with players, fans, over the years, for someone with a load of money to come in and go, you don't need to work for this anymore, I'm just going to select you to be part of this and I can I can see why he I think that finding it as a, a joke with maybe one comment but there'll be a lot of anger there actually because it's basically someone coming in and totally dispersing your however many years in the game and making their own league it, it truly is as Hannah said before someone trying to turn it into FIFA and, and this is not FIFA this is this is people's lives that they've made their way in by working really really hard so the like of Ancelotti, Mourinho, a number of other managers who who have been in this game long enough to be able to speak up about it. They, um, yeah, they're probably very glad to, to be in a position that their accolades aren't rather than chosen. Yeah,
2: and when, when are they going to do something like turn the European Cup titles into
3: Super League titles or uh, something like that? So who knows it's just what
1: painful that hair and uh, yeah. all of the stupid ideas is that.
3: Is that actually true, Matt? Because I, I thought that was a joke when I saw that. I have to be honest.
2: I'm sure Perez said sort of like Madrid's history will be converted into the Super League. But you know what? There's been so much, there's been so much. the last few days. Who you knows? There's so much just bargain and all that. But I'm pretty sure I've seen it from a few. Did it That's
3: not make any else. of you guys you watched any football over the last couple of nights feel like what's the point at one point?
1: I think oh, on Monday
2: I just, on Monday felt like that but the last United nights have just been cheering on the other 14 basically Yeah, I feel like <laughs>
1: Neville you know when he was reading out all the games <laughs> yeah. of <for> the week <laughs> come on Villa yeah. come on Everson <laughs> literally yeah. that's been my mood the whole week
3: yeah and and do you know what you, you've you got to laugh as well I know Matt you want to move on to this Arsenal game I think I'll give you the perfect segue here
2: how dare I was going to do Browns next day if you can bring it back to him that would be <laughs> really appreciated
3: <laughs> Well, I was, I was the only thing I was going to say was, you know, you, you look at the calibre of a couple of, well, Arsenal and Spurs, let's say it really, particularly Spurs, the audacity of them to class themselves as a club that could potentially compete in something called the Super League. I mean, he'd be they better know. going to the rugby version, wouldn't he? They? He'd probably be more suited to that than he would do the football version.
2: There's, there's been that joke going around, hasn't there, saying Arsenal and Spurs in the Super League is the equivalent of going to the Crucible this week and putting 50p down on the table. They're
3: putting
2: 50p on the table, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but we'll, we'll move on so much a of chance. to some some the stuff for the last uh, 10, 15 minutes or so. Uh, Hannah, I'll come to you first. Everton announced an actual big thing this week and it sort of didn't really get picked up on by anyone because of what's been going on. But uh, one of the, the worst-kept secrets we've had for a while, Marcel Brands signing his new contract. Three years, uh, Bill Kenwright said it took them about as long as one play of Z cars to get the deal done. In uh, ooh,
3: classic. ooh, terrible, Bill.
2: <laughs> Dave's, oh, Dave's, Dave's not having that. But it had it. more importantly, are you having Marcel Brands for another three years? Are you happy with that?
1: Yes, if it's not just for these pictures with the polo necks and summer coming through, then yeah, that's got me sold. But no, like, <laughs> it's you know, what I mean? and all yeah. Slip. Yeah. and then he kills it off with the D squared top with his pure hands and his pockets outside him. Finch, but we'll forgive him for that. <laughs> but um, he's bosses, and he like, look at the d- Jesus. Like...
3: Never want you, to, never you, never want you to judge what I'm wearing, Hannah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Get a polo neck, and it's all forgiven. It's <laughs> It would never be (laughs) anymore. He's done such a good job of just clearing out dead weight and shit and we've just needed that. He's literally come through and done such a spring clean. The job's not done yet. There's still a good couple of people's wages that need to be shifted off, but the impact that he's had already of getting rid of that, it, it, it's impressive in the time that he's had to do it. And I found like he's got a few extra burdens coming onto him, like the toast and saga continues for him and stuff like that. But I feel, and his ability for spotting talents as well. I think, like, I always forget, and I have to remind myself, that uh, when I listened to the press conference where Ancelotti said, I didn't spot Godfrey, it was brands type of thing. Like, that needs to be remembered. that this is the... Um, like the quality that he brings to our club having him there if he's spotting people like Ben Godfrey before anybody else did before even Carly was aware of him so obviously that brings so much to us but yeah I just think in the plan of where we're going forwards new stadium new exciting manager all the things I think having somebody like him tied down to us just makes us more stable going through this like plowing forward, Aben for the stars, transitional period really, and it's just nice that after all the, oh he's going to run you kind of thing, blah, 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 blah but that saga is completely, even though we knew it was, it's nice to have the nice little put together fancy video to compare <laughs> it and ease all of us with it, do you know what I mean, but yeah, the boss news.
0: I think we haven't seen anything of Marcel Brand's actually to a degree, I think As Hannah mentioned, it's very much been a get the water off the ship so we don't sink in his tenure so far. It's been removing that deadwood. It's been very much focusing on the under-23s, the under-18s, those very, very young talents coming through, whether it's from Everton or bringing them in from other clubs. So I'm really, really excited to see where this goes in the next couple of years, next three years and, and beyond, hopefully, because apart from his terrific dress sense, I think. And he also has a terrific eye for... It's a bit of a strange one, obviously. Obviously, his base has always been breeding young talent into the football club. He's done it his whole career. I think his best work at Everton has been defensively so far. You think of the likes of Ben Godfrey, Luca Dean, you can say Jared Branthwaite coming in, Mina he brought in, and Cuckoo as well. Did he bring Zuma in? Who was obviously a brilliant signing, and yeah,
2: was a load. Yeah.
0: the likes of Richarlison, who's obviously been amazing, and there's a few ums and ahs in in the midfield uh, and forwards. But I think with Ancelotti's pairing of let's just get it sorted now, Alan Lukoure, um, and, and a few other players as well, Hammers. It's 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 a fine balance, which I think giving them both a lot of time to work together, full season under both of their belts, full summer under both of their belts, working together finding out how each other works. I think you can very much see the brands and Ancelotti signings over the past 12 months. I'm really excited to see where that develops and whether there is maybe a hybrid of, well, he's a young player, but Ancelotti trusts him, or maybe he's an old, you know, a young head on, on an older shoulders with, with with regards to Ancelotti and brands working the other way. So yeah, I'm really excited. And, and as I say, excited to see him actually flourish in this role rather than, um, getting rid of that dead weight and, and trying to move some wages
2: off our bill? Yeah, it's not a traditional director of football role he's in, is it? They, you know, there's not many directors of football, if any, who are on the board of the football club. Um, most of them have total autonomy over signings and strategy and, and, and all that kind of thing. Um, so I think his role has become quite a lot different to the one we, we all sort of anticipated he would fulfil when he arrived at the football club. But I think what Adam said there is quite encouraging the... You go back to last summer, the first one that him and Angelotti had working together, it seemed as though they could do a pretty good job in tandem in terms of recruitment.
3: Yeah, I mean, I wasn't sure at first how this would work between um, Brands and Carlo when he first came in, because I had the opinion that Carlo would very much want to be his own man and lead the front on transfers. Um, having said that, it's gone better than I thought it would. Um, on Brands himself, though, I'm I'm still... Skeptical, which might not, which might not be uh, too much of a surprise to many people listen to this. Let alone you, Matt. I think he's done some good work. I think certain elements of his signings haven't really come to fruition yet. Um, I think he's had a difficult job, and that's where the caveat is to all this. Like I, like Adam said, I think he's got an, an issue in the beginning to clean the decks and basically get as much of the deadwood off the books as he possibly can. There's still a fair amount of that to be done, I think. Um, there's still a fair amount of that to be done, I think, in areas that we probably didn't expect. Obviously, the right-back uh, position's an issue. Um, I think centre-halves an issue, I have to say, because I, I don't think any one of our centre-halves has the consistency to be able to say, I'm the starting chief here, I'm the captain of the side, even at the back, Um not fully trusting in Mina. Keane, I think, regressed a little bit this season. Not that much. Holgate, I couldn't tell you what's going on there. There's, there's some there's some deep roots and stuff, I think, with Holgate and how well he plays, uh, particularly when Evan runs under the cosh. I think the communication between him and Keane we saw uh, really comes to the fore against Spurs, didn't it? And cost us the game, ultimately. Uh, and then there's the goalkeeping issue as well. So, I think defensively, he, he's got to look at that and think, this is probably the main challenge I've got going forward. Um, and, yeah, I, if I'm marking him out to 10, I'd give him, I'd give him a six.
2: Pretty harsh. Pretty harsh. Uh, we'll, we'll move swiftly on anyway because we are running out of time. I know you've got to shoot, Hannah, but um, tell us about Arsenal tomorrow. Obviously, they've got no Aubameyang, no Lacazette. Uh, it's going to be fans protesting at the ground. They've got some other key injuries. You've had a bit of a, a garbage season overall. Yeah. Um,
1: to the well, destined put, to beat
2: us. Well, yeah, we're just setting it all up there, aren't I? But, you know, I think looking at the table, <laughs> I, sort of, I sort of noticed that there was a, uh, a four-point gap between us and Liverpool now. We're in the team above us. Obviously, Spurs winning last night. It, it does feel very much as though we've been kicking this can down the road for a while now in terms of European football. And if we lose tomorrow night, may as well forget it.
1: Yeah, if we lose tomorrow, it's gone, isn't it? I didn't even realise, even if we went tomorrow, we're still behind. Liverpool and Spurs are lagging behind on that point. So I think the main thing for tomorrow is, OK, we'll still be catching up, but it's then keeping Arsenal at bay as well, because they are they four points behind us? I think
2: I think, think that they'll go above us tomorrow, but yeah, um, if they beat us, but yeah, we we'll are so have a game in hand on them, yeah.
1: Yeah, so it's such a closed shop. So you just think tomorrow that we'd use the fact there's no Obamiang and stuff like that to our advantage, but it's us, of course. So you'd never know. You just got to hope that the fresh legs coming back is going to add a bit of life into where yeah. Adam Dombach is obviously very exciting. I don't think Richie's done a terrible job on his own, but obviously it's not been what we want he hasn't given us that mm. striker excitement do you know what I mean but I think the thing I'm most excited for to see tomorrow I really want to see a part two of the Hammers and Gylfi link up because that was like just snippets of that was like where does this been we've all been waiting for this so I'd like to see that come into play and I feel like I have a little bit of confidence Yeri coming back I know Dave just said they haven't got the full confidence in Yeri but I think after obviously I don't like Holgate's there anyway and after um Keen last week i just think it'd be nice to get yevie in there just to feel a bit more solid hmm. and then obviously we've got Delft back so that's the most exciting part I suppose Fabian's
2: going to inspire us <laughs> to European place finish um, Fabian and Bernard
1: yes. are going to get us there it's all going to be fine <laughs> but um, no and Gomez being back as well I think it's just I feel like we're going into tomorrow where the last two games has been very deflating that we have no options at all apart from a Woby and a bunch of kids I think tomorrow I feel a bit apart from the big saga going on I'm sad the actual game but if you're talking about just the actual game I feel a little bit more comfortable about it because at least we have more options than just that 11 players we've been so stretched for the past two games is it we'll be literally on our ass if we lose any of them or if any of them's having an off game so I'm just hoping that tomorrow it'll give them a little burst of energy and like that it's like okay yeah we um, drew with Spurs but that was the most exciting football I've watched us play in about a month. The um for a few weeks before that was literally mind numbing. The Brighton game every second I watched I felt like I was getting thicker. It was that it I n- <laughs> never experienced. I felt brain dead. So Spurs <laughs> give me like a bit the, of
2: it's like the footy equivalent of a Perez press conference.
1: <laughs> literally it was so painful. So that's give me a little bit of hope. That was a little, a little bit of like. Sp- a bit of spice, if we're using hammers, is lovely terminology about stuff that has a little bit of spice in it. And it's just giving me a bit of hope. If we use all these other things to our advantage tomorrow, let's get, um, let's hopefully just do the job. But as you say, it's us, all the factors are going against Arsenal and they'll probably better us.
2: <laughs> well, Adam texted me today saying yeah. he actually really fancies us for this game tomorrow night.
0: Yeah, um, actually now that you've laid out all of all of the stops for us, Matt, I think it's just 1-0, Eddie and Kettia, absolutely nailed on, isn't it? Um, <laughs> however, after the the, the past Spurs, past I think, as Hannah alluded to, some of the football, some of the way we've been playing has been very much a side that is struggling for confidence, struggling for strength in depth. And there's such a... A mental side of just having your mates back on the training field to, to a degree I think, I think with the likes of Yerry Mina and Andre Gomez and then Richarlison and Hames, there seem to be obviously some great camaraderie there, they get on really well and, and just having that for these past couple of days I think will really give them a boost, the likes of Carl lewin Tom Davis will feel a lot more confident I know you can, you can look at it in a shallow way of well, they're, they're all there and, and thereabouts anyway but having your mates back playing football with you and, and having that confidence of knowing that I'm here for you, I'm here for the fight, and, and let's have this running together rather than down to the bare bones, I think could really give us a push. And the flip side of that being that Arsenal are not in, in, in that way. They have obviously their captain missing, they have their top goal scorer in Lacazette missing. And I think with Arsenal sides over the past years is They're very quick to down tools when it comes to the crunch. They go, no, it's not going our way, this. And and I'm probably gonna regret saying all of this, but I think there's just something about Everton against a team like Arsenal <laughs> under Carlo Ancelotti, which which really allows us to to just show what we can do. We're not held back or we're not having to break down a side that doesn't want to come and play football against us. Arsenal are not going to sit there and try and defend. Arsenal are going to try and play their game and I think it suits us very well and, and we've said it numerous times that there's two sides to Everton. There's Everton that can go and attack playing free-flowing football. Sigurdsson, Hammers, whoever, linking up and, and in those four positions which takes the pressure off that back four and then there's an Everton side which are mind-numbing Florentino Perez-like um, and I just think we'll get the
2: first Everton tomorrow. Um, but don't quote me on that, obviously, because it is Everton at the end of the day. It's right. Uh, Dave, do you, do you fancy this one tomorrow? Do you think we're going to end this run uh, at Arsenal? I think it goes back to the mid-90s. The last time you won there.
3: No. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and and I say, I say you know, with all the, the goodwill towards our team. Uh, you know, I'd I, I love to say, yeah, I, I just feel as if our season is over. I don't feel as if there's anything left in the players. I, didn't seem, I, I don't really care who starts the games, to be honest with you, Matt. I, I will lament this season for quite some time, given the opportunities we've missed. And I just don't feel we have it in us to go again. Um, You know, you, you look at the sides, we've got left to play. Bit of a mixed bag, really. We've still got to go to West Ham. Um, you, You're looking at us. I think Carlos... Still going to play himself, Villa twice, we? somehow. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's not going to be any picnic, is it? Uh, particularly away we have a dreadful record of Villa Park. But, I mean, this for me, and it's not often you hear me say such cliché things about the end of season, but I just want to see something that we can look at and think, do you know what, with a few additions, this is where we really take off next season? Because I, I I just don't feel as if we have enough to be able to to really kick on in the last few games of the season. I think Carlo said it himself, that we'd need to win all seven, I think. Um and that wouldn't necessarily guarantee us a Champions League spot either. Um, imagine winning all seven, eight games and not getting in the Champions <laughs> League, which, which would be so evident, wouldn't it? Um, but I actually don't think we've got enough to win the seven. Anyway, I think now it's probably a little bit about hearts and minds for Carlo, to be honest. Because I think if you can, you, you, you take it the best parts of the season. It's been a great season if you take it. You know the best parts, the games we've won, big teams we've beat. Ended the Anfield hoodoo, went away at Spurs. You know, some great, some great nights at home at Goodison. Um, Chelsea, that Chelsea game. Arsenal as well. You know, we've proven we can compete with these sides. Uh, and, and it's been a while since we've been able to say that. It's what's let us down is against the lesser sides. And that probably means we go to Arsenal and do them. Such <laughs> is the mm-hmm. way it's gone this season. Um, but I just, I just feel as if I'd like to see... I'd like to see a blueprint of what we're going to see next season. Um, obviously, without the likes of the fantastic Josh King, um, who, who's, who's been fantastic since he's signed, hasn't he? I think he really does warm up oh, that t- plastic seat really well. for bit, whoever comes off. Singling of him um, out, to be fair. Yeah, come on! Yeah, I just want to see. I, I just want to see some intent, Matt. Yeah, good stuff. He's awesome. Uh, <laughs> I'd rather have Anthony. G- I'd rather. I'd rather have Anthony Gardner back and play him.
2: I thought you were going to say Andy Gordon then. I was thinking uh, maybe for Andy Garner. <laughs> With that as well. Yeah. Oh, dear me. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll leave it there anyway. Uh, loads covered there. Thanks very much to Dave, Hannah and Adam. Uh, of course, we'll have post-match after that game tomorrow. Uh be joined by Mark Mosey for that. Uh, so looking forward to that. Fingers crossed we can end that hoodoo. The Everett slash hybrid's been going that long, hasn't it? But uh yeah, cheers everyone for listening. Thanks very much for your support this week. And fingers crossed we're all celebrating an Everton win tomorrow night.
3: Progressive snapshot can save you money based on how you drive and how much you drive. So the safer you drive, the more money you could save. Now if you didn't hear that because you were laying on the horn while driving, let me say it again. Are you a race car driver? Because if you are, you're in the wrong car and you took a wrong turn off the track a while ago. And all those cars you're trying to pass all save money with Progressive Snapshot, while you probably don't. So who's really winning? And if you did hear it the first time, nice work. You'd love Snapshot from Progressive because it rewards safe drivers. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Snapshot
0: not available in California and North Carolina or from all agents.
1: Sports Social Podcast Network.
2: Step into the world of power, loyalty,